Hi, my name is Ricky Langford from High Performance Work Health International. Today we're going to be talking about diabetes. Now diabetes is affecting around 10% of the Australian population, but in real terms, up to 20% of us have got an issue with our blood sugar. So this is something we really need to talk about. Welcome to the Great Life Podcast with Ricky Langford, demystifying the science of health and talking about practical ideas for everyday problems. So when we talk about diabetes, we really talk about three types. We always used to talk about two types, but now we talk about three. There's type 1 diabetes, there is type 2 diabetes, and of course there's raised basal glucose, which is not quite diabetes, but you're pretty close to heading there. When we talk about type 1 diabetes, type 1 diabetes typically is diagnosed when people are a little younger, and it's an autoimmune response. What it means is that the body basically destroys these cells, which are called beta cells, which are on an area of the pancreas called the islets of Langerhans, it destroys these cells. And these cells are responsible for the creation and the proliferation of insulin. So the body can't do its own insulin controls, which means then those people have to artificially introduce insulin into their bloodstream. So when we talk about type 1 diabetes, the people who are insulin dependent, it's roughly about 0.6 to 1% of the Australian population. So it's, but it actually makes up about 10% of all diabetics. Type 2 diabetes is a pretty complex sort of multi-system type of diabetes. But if we were to simplify, what we would say is that the body becomes less insulin sensitive. So what insulin does, insulin is a pretty funky little hormone or pre-hormone. What it does, it floats around the body, goes only to muscle cells, and it, it only it goes to a cell and it's like a key and it goes into locks in muscle cells and it opens up the channel that only lets glucose into the blood into the cell from out of the blood so as a result it lowers your blood sugar for all sorts of reasons for some people it can be genetic for other people it's because we've constantly and constantly and constantly pumped out too much insulin because we've had too much sugar in our blood because we've eaten too much crappy food the body stops actually recognising the key so the lock doesn't work. So all of a sudden you can't open up enough of these cells, which means the blood sugar doesn't get lowered. And that blood sugar goes higher and higher and higher where you become pre-diabetic and eventually you become a type 2 diabetic. And that comes with a lot of issues and, and that will march along if it's unchecked or uncontrolled to full-blown type 1 diabetes where you have to introduce insulin yourself. The third type of diabetes, which I've already touched on a couple of times, is raised glucose. So when we talk about type 2 diabetes, we're probably talking around 4% of the Australian population have got type 2 diabetes and they've been diagnosed. What we do know is probably at least that number again in Australia have type 2 diabetes but have never been diagnosed. So it might be as much as 8 to 10% of the population have got type 2 diabetes, yet only half of those have been diagnosed. With raised basal glucose or high blood sugar, which is not quite considered type 2 diabetes, we think it's in the high teens of the population. So somewhere between 15 and 19% of the population have glucose, which when they're tested is outside the ideal range, which means that they are mercilessly marching toward type 2 diabetes. Now that could be catastrophic. That is the three different types of diabetes we're talking about. So for most of this presentation today, we're not going to talk about type 1 diabetes because in real terms, there's not a whole lot you can do about that other than 
get your medication right, your insulin right, and, and do a, you know, eat well and those types of things. So for the rest of this presentation, typically we're going to talk mainly about type 2 diabetes and pre-diabetes. What I hear a lot about type 2 diabetes is, oh, you know, you've got this incurable disease or you need to take lots of medication to control your type 2 diabetes. For some people that can be the case, but it's only a very small percentage of the people who have got early diagnosis of type 2 diabetes. If you haven't been put onto oral medication for your diabetes, well generally for most people you can actually reverse that cycle. Because the main thing that brought on that diabetes is an incredibly poor diet, a lack of activity and a few other things that, that destroy the way your, your insulin works. So you can do something about it. So the way to do that is to understand what brought that on in the first place. So what sort of things does having high blood sugar all the time do? The analogy I like to, to paint for people is having really high blood sugar is like having lots and lots and lots of tiny shards of glass running through your blood, through your blood vessels. That generally you can cope with a few nicks, but if you're constantly nicking through the, the blood vessels or into the liver or into the kidney, you eventually start to do damage. So that's sort of an analogy of what having high blood sugar does. The other thing which we don't talk about much at all is the fact that when you have high blood sugar, it has an impact on your immune system. And there's plenty of research that's shown us in recent times when your blood sugar goes up really high in the areas that are well above where we expect them to be, we know there's a resulting suppression in your phagocyte activity. Now, phagocytes are basically the cells that make up your immune system. So when your blood sugar is high, you suppress your phagocyte activity. So you suppress your immune system. And when it gets to levels which are um, your blood sugar, ideally for, for most people should be somewhere between say four and about six, six and a half. If that's say a nine or a 10, we know that typically your immune system can be suppressed for up to four hours. So that gives things, nasty things, the opportunity to attack your body. So having high level of blood sugar all the time means that you're more likely to get a whole lot of other things, not just colds and flus, but much more serious illnesses as a result of having high blood sugar. I guess the question I get asked a lot is, why, why all of a sudden have we got this, and it's, a pa it's not an epidemic, it's a pandemic of high blood sugar. You know, we're talking about 20% plus of the population having an issue, which on a global basis is a horrendous number. So what causes it? Well, typically it's the same old message, isn't it? We're eating really bad food, not moving very much and sleeping poorly and all those things. But there are a couple of very significant things we know, like sugary drinks. So we know if you have one sugary drink a day, it increases your risk for type 2 diabetes by about 15%. But if you have two sugary drinks a day, it increases your risk by about 26%. Now ask yourself how many you would have a day, or maybe how many your children would have a day. And are we leading ourselves and our children along the path to high blood sugar well before they should ever have to worry about that sort of stuff, ever? So things like what we eat or drink have a massive impact. But typically if it's processed food, with little fibre in it. Remember, because when you have fibre in foods, it slows down the digestion of food, which means that the, inch, the, the sugar is really slower into your system, so your body doesn't panic. And the mechanism for becoming type 2 diabetic is really quite interesting. Is the body's designed for food to be digested and then your blood sugar go up quite slowly. And as it goes up, the body has mechanisms that allow your body to tip the right amount of insulin into your bloodstream, 
which opens up enough cells to lower your blood sugar so it's perfect in what we call your relative energy level, which is that range of, you know, sort of four to six and a half, roughly. The problem is in the modern world, we eat or drink foods that don't release food in. So the classic example, you're a bit tired and emotional late in the day at work and you've got to keep going. So you go, and you go what am I going to eat or drink to keep myself going because I'm tired? Well, you never crave the alfalfa whole grain sandwich, do you? You head straight to the charity chocolate box. You know where you raise money for your own heart disease. It's a fantastic charity. What happens is you eat that giant Freddo, which is really simple sugar, or you grab that can of Coke or that energy drink or that orange juice or that flavoured milk, and you drink those things. And because they're so sugary, your blood sugar goes up really fast. You say, I feel a bit tired here, but all of a sudden within a few minutes, you feel great because the energy is rushing through. Because it happens so quickly though, the body hasn't quite evolved enough to work out how much to tip on it. So it overcompensates most of the time. So rather than tipping a thimble load of insulin into your bloodstream to bring your blood sugar down to the right level, we always tend to overcompensate. Way too much insulin. Blood sugar goes up, I feel rubbish, I feel pretty good, and all of a sudden your blood sugar starts free falling because you've opened up all these cells to take the blood sugar out. So your blood sugar starts to free fall. Within about 20 minutes, I feel rubbish, I feel good, I feel rubbish again. So what do we do? We do it again, don't we? We're tired again. 25 minutes later, so we have another one of those drinks or another one of those sugary foods. So what we do is we do this throughout the day. You think about what we eat for breakfast, breakfast cereals, most of them are full of sugar. Or we eat lots of white bread, which typically will spike our blood sugar. You know, processed white flour has the same effect on our blood sugar than what white sugar does more often than not. So up it goes, and we do this all the time. It means that the old insulin's being pumped out all the time and the cells are opening up. And that's really the mechanism for constantly overloading the system which creates type 2 diabetes. All of a sudden, insulin can't open the cell up. Then your blood sugar starts to go up. So the real trick to this really is about eating real food, not eating those sugary snacks, drinking water. You can have a little bit of flavoured stuff in it, but not too much. But your primaries have to be good foods, real foods. Go out of the ground, walk across the ground or swim. The Great Life Podcast with Ricky Langford. What are the real long-term ramifications of having high blood sugar or blood sugar which is much higher on a regular basis compared to what it should be? Well, there are three main issues. There is the, the gross large blood flow to things like the heart and the lungs and the kidneys and the, they get damaged. And, and even just having high blood sugar through the major arteries because it works like little slithers of glass, it creates little nicks which creates scar tissue, which changes the compliance of your arteries. Then, of course, there is the, 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 the smaller blood vessels, the fine blood flow. So we're talking about things like blood flow to the eye. So all of a sudden, we get retinopathy. We start to see macular issues. So, um, you know, damage to, the, to the, the retina, which means that you don't see as well. It could be damage, um, poor blood flow to the end of the fingers. So all of a sudden you've got cold fingers and, and, and tingly fingers all the time. It could even be blood flow to the sex organs. For a man, poor blood flow through diabetes, diabetic or high blood sugar changes over time can lead to impotence. Now, you know, erectile dysfunction is a major problem for men. Many men suffer from it and primarily for a lot of these men, it's about having high blood sugar. And if something's going to really scare you into looking after your body, perhaps that will help for most of the fellas out there. So it could be the neurological aspects of being exposed to high blood sugar. So the one thing we talk about is 
um, peripheral neuropathy. So damage the nerves that are going to the extremities of your body. You'll also damage the nerves in your eye, but the damage to the nerves in your fingers and particularly in your feet uh, and the periphery means that you're more likely to get damaged, more likely to get infected, uh, and more likely to get unusual pins and needles and unusual sensations, which are typically associated with long-term damage to the nerves. And they do lead to some of these amputations over time. So it's about gross blood flow. It's about some of the more specific, smaller blood flows, eyes, fingers, toes, sex organs. And it's also about the damage to the nerves. And once the nerves don't work, the feedback to the brain doesn't work, things start to go wrong. So blood flow and nerves are the two things we need for things to work properly. So that peripheral becomes more and more central over time, the damage. They are pretty dire consequences of having high blood sugar. So what are some of the signs and symptoms you might have blood sugar that's too high? Well, it's frequent urination. When the body can't digest that, that sugar, it actually pushes it out through your urine. And of course, which means you have to urinate more often. It also could mean that you're a lot more thirsty than normal because again, because you're urinating more often and because the way that water and, and glucose work together, you tend to be dehydrated a lot more. So those two typically go arm in arm together. It also could mean you feel very tired because you don't feel like you've been sustained by the food you eat. Typically, you tend to feel a little tireder. It could be that you have some blurry vision. Now, one of the things that happens when you have excess in the bloodstream is it starts to damage the blood flow to the eye, which means that you struggle with the ability to focus properly and things like that. So that can be an early sign you've got high blood sugar. It might be that you have a, whenever you get a cut or a wound, it takes a lot longer to heal up. Because of the lack of blood flow and also the nerve being damaged, to those areas, your body typically can't heal as quick. As a result, people with really bad diabetes have all sorts of issues with ulcers and damage to blood flow and skin. It might be that you get tingling sensation to the extremities. So one of the long-term issues with damage um, is a thing called peripheral um, neuropathy, which is damage to the nerves. Uh, at the distal areas. So if you've got high blood sugar and it's been around for a fair while, you might start to get pins and needles or tingling to the extremities. Or it might just be you itch a lot, particularly the areas you know, around the groin and the armpits, because when you have high levels of sugar, it allows yeast infections to take hold. So higher levels of infections around the, I guess, the, the moister areas around the body, so the armpits, um, the buttocks, and around the groin. So they can be the classics that you can see. But the one I see most of is people urinating more often, are thirsty more often, are tired more often, and they're hungry more often than normal. So what are some of the risk factors that you can monitor for your blood sugar, for high blood sugar, for diabetes? Well, of course, the easiest thing to do in almost any place in Australia right now is you can go and get your finger prick done, and within about eight seconds, you get a score. Um, and that's in uh, millimoles per, per litre of glucose, and that can tell you. But there are other things that make your risk higher. For instance, once you pass the age of 40, we know the risks for type 2 diabetes go up. Just because we're getting older, our systems aren't quite as efficient. We know if you're overweight. So when we say overweight, we're talking about a body mass index, which is your height in metres, divided into your weight in kilograms. 
That's your BMI, your body mass index. And people say, oh, BMI is really harsh. You know, it says I'm obese, I'm overweight. I'm not really interested in that. But what we do know is once your BMI gets over between 25 and 27, your risk for type 2 diabetes go up quite significantly. Once it gets over 30, the risks actually go up even higher. We know that if you're active less than three times a week, we know that your risks go up for type 2 diabetes. Quite remarkably, one of the great treatments for type 2 diabetes early on is to exercise regularly. Because when you exercise, it seems to increase the sensitivity of the cell to the key that opens up and lets the sugar come back in. So we know exercise is a really important part of it. We know if you've got high blood pressure, it increases your risk. We know if you've got a family history of type 2 diabetes. Now, once again, it's really important to know what your family history looks like. You, your siblings, your mum and your dad, your grandparents. You need to know those things. We know if you have a low HDL cholesterol, which is the good cholesterol, the high-density lipoproteins, we know if that HDL number is below 1.2, which you get when you get full bloods from your doctor, we know that it increases your risk. And we certainly know that, again, if you're from certain demographics or geographical demographics like East Asian, Sri Lankan, Pakistani, Indian... Uh, Bangladeshi, Fijian, Filipino, there appears to be a much higher rate of type 2 diabetes. But even more catastrophic is our Indigenous population in Australia where we know that type 2 diabetes is running rampant. The main thing about type 2 diabetes, it's easily measured. It's a pretty straightforward thing to measure on a regular basis. And for most people, they can avoid it with some basic good lifestyle habits. But the first thing we all should do is go and get it checked. So you can go and get that little finger prick test or you can go and get your full bloods done. So you fast for 12 hours and then we'll get what you, what's called your HbA1c, which is a predictive level of, of your blood sugar over a period of time. But we all should do that on a regular basis anyway, particularly once you get over the age of 40. And if you've got high risk factors, maybe all the time. So type 2 diabetes is an epidemic, a pandemic in Australia, but it can be controlled. So make sure you get along and find out what your levels look like. And then if they're a bit high or they're heading into that pre-diabetes area, there are a lot of things you can do which are very simple things, like exercise, good food, lower your stresses, sleep really well, that will actually help control that. But you don't know until you find out. So make sure you get along and find out and then take control of the risk that you might have for diabetes.